Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Howard David Live. We get it going on a Thursday. Be having a couple of guests to address some current issues of the day. Of course, the biggest news of the day is Tom Brady has announced his retirement. This time, it seems like it's for real. Stop and look at it. He's a 45-year-old man who's accomplished an awful lot in the National Football League. And no matter where you go in history about great quarterbacks in the past, they all don't go out on top. Tom Brady's not going out on top. That doesn't matter, at least not to me. How much it matters to him is a different story. Uh, if it really ate at him, then he'd probably stay. But I think he's chosen the right route for him. Tampa Bay's not ready to win a Super Bowl. He's not going anyplace else. He's not going to the New York Jets. I mean, that's a good punchline for the late night talk shows, but it's not real. Tom Brady accomplished a lot. I was there on September the 23rd, 2001 in Foxborough. The Jets, who I was calling games for on local radio, were playing the Patriots. Drew Bledsoe was the quarterback for the New England Patriots. The Jets had a linebacker named Mo Lewis. They met along the sidelines. And if I'm not mistaken, I think it was the uh, Jets bench. And Mo Lewis drove him from, out, from inbounds to out of bounds, just knocked him out. It was a vicious hit. Was it illegal? No. So out on the field came Tom Brady, the backup quarterback of the New England Patriots, who once upon a time was the fourth string quarterback for the New England Patriots when he was drafted. <laughs> 199th pick in the draft. Sixth rounder. I watched uh, Bob Kraft today on CNN on their morning show, and he said he should have been the number one pick in the draft. Well, all due respect, Mr. Kraft, if that's true, you had five other picks. So why didn't you pick him before the sixth round? You got a great deal at the sixth round of the 199th pick based on what he has turned out to be. Look, I mentioned that I called the Jets games. He beat the Jets more often than he lost. More important than that, Tom Brady, well, let me just say this. Tom Brady won six Super Bowls as a Patriot, won a seventh with Tampa Bay. I heard Mike Francesa this morning saying that he wasn't the greatest Super Bowl quarterback of all time. Uh, he was the best regular season quarterback of all time. Well, all due respect to Mr. Francesa, that's, you got to get your eyes checked. He said Joe Montana was the best Super Bowl quarterback. Joe Montana didn't win seven Super Bowls. Tom Brady did. 
Give the devil his due. That's all I'm saying. Give the devil his due. Let me just send a quick note uh, to Clark Judge, who's going to be joining us momentarily. The question's always been, well, who's more responsible for their success, Tom Brady or Bill Belichick? Well, I'll answer it this way. Bill Belichick was a great coach, is a great coach. Tom Brady was a great quarterback. They each came to the table with things. Okay? Tom Brady made a people around him better. Bill Belichick made the players around him better. And that leads to the question about why did Sean Payton take the Denver Broncos job? Is he going to make Russell Wilson what he was? Is he going to make the Denver Broncos better? We'll find out. I'm not, uh, I'm not making a suggestion that uh, what Tom Brady did. There he is. Hello, Clark. Hey, Howard, how are you? I'm good. I'm just talking about the fact that I remember September the 23rd of 2001. At that time, I was calling the Jets games on local radio. And Mo Lewis put a hit on Drew Bledsoe. You probably remember that. I do. And out on the field comes Tom Brady for the first time. And, you know, we didn't know what to expect. We knew he was the 199th pick in the draft. You know, he was a sixth rounder. Uh, but I couldn't have imagined on that day that he was going to become what we now know as Tom Brady. Now, is this the right time for him to retire? Yes, because he said so. Yeah. Right? Right. I mean, he's yeah. a 45-year-old yeah. guy who's taken a lot of hits, but he'll go down in history, despite what I heard Mike Francesa say, as the greatest Super Bowl quarterback of all time. Yes or yeah. no? Yeah, yes, yes. Great, greatest Super Bowl quarterback of all time. I'm glad you mentioned that because people say the greatest of all time. I go, yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to get into that. You know, there, there was another quarterback who went to 10 championship games and won seven of them. His name was Otto Graham. He was a great quarterback, all right? He was the greatest of his time. So I don't want to hear that. Um, so-and-so was the greatest ever. Uh, Brady's the, the greatest Super Bowl quarterback of all time. And to me, it was Brady in Montana, but, but the fact he's got seven Super Bowls um, trophies. And, and let's face it, Howard, he won those with not a great supporting cast. I'm talking about uh, guys at the um, wide receiver position, running back position. Uh, he made stars of like Julian Edelman, um, James White, uh, you know, people like that. Uh, he, he just... He's extraordinary. And, and I've talked to numbers of people in and around that uh, organization over the years and what made him so much better than everyone else. They said, like Manning, he just elevated the play of everyone around him. So he might have had guys who would be ordinary players with other teams, Wes Welker, for instance, um, who were extraordinary players in that system because of Tom. Mm -hmm. I remember the day that he won his first Super Bowl. I'm down on the field before the game in New Orleans. I don't remember if it was my second Super Bowl or my third. And I run into uh, Robert Kraft, the owner of the Patriots on the field. He said to me, what do you think? I said, I think he got a really good chance to win this game. He says, why? I said, well, I had a drink last night with your offensive coordinator, Charlie Weiss. He said he thinks that you can run the ball on the Rams. We know you can throw it, but can you run it? He thinks you can. So based on what Charlie's saying to me, uh, and I believe in him, I'm going to say that you got a better chance to win. So then he says to me, okay. We're staying in the same hotel. Why don't you come to my post-game party? And I said, win or lose? He goes, win or lose. I said, okay, fine, I'll be there. They win the game, okay? And I remember 
uh, and I'm working the game with Boomer Esiason. And I said to Boomer, do you remember they got the ball, I think, at their own 23-yard line with no timeouts left. Right. And they needed a field goal to win the game. And I said on the air that I felt that this was win or lose time right now. You can't go to overtime because you're giving the Rams another chance to beat you. And Boomer agreed. We find out after the game that John Madden said right. they should call timeouts. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he he was not in favor of doing that. And um, and the funny thing is, you know, it, we, we remember Brady for the seven Super Bowls. But that game, for instance, it, it wasn't Tom Brady, although that was the beginning of his emergence. But that drive was the beginning of Tom Brady. The defense won that game and what they did mm-hmm. um, to the, the greatest show on turf, you know, which turns out wasn't the greatest show because they only won one Super Bowl. But um, they, they thwarted them. And, and it turns out Mike March probably should have run a lot more than he did with Marshall Falk, but he didn't. Um, and so, um, you know, the Rams ended up being a, uh, a historical fact because it's one of the greatest Super Bowl upsets ever, really. And uh, that the Patriots were given no shot in that game and their defense, Ty Law, intercepted ball and returned it for the touchdown. It was, it was a great defensive effort by the Patriots. And I thought one of Belichick's greatest defensive efforts, period. And then as time went on, you could see the Patriots put more and more on Tom's shoulders. And I mm-hmm. thought at the end, I thought it was almost unbearable. I mean, he was carrying that team and, and carrying them to places where they shouldn't have been. And um, I, I, I thought what he did was extraordinary. As I said, given sort of the talent around him and your listeners would say, well, you had Gronk. Yeah, he had Gronk, but he missed a lot of seasons there near the end of his career with the Patriots. And, um, you know, who else do you have? They'll say Randy Moss. Hey, Randy Moss for 36 games. They didn't win a Super Bowl with him. So his star receivers were Edelman, you know, Welker, uh, Troy Brown. They're they're all credible receivers, very good receivers. But which one of those ghost guys is going to the Hall of Fame? And none of them are. Um, So um, I I, I thought just watching him over the years, it it became a real pleasure for me. And, And honestly, just a privilege to be alive watching that take place because, um, I've seldom seen that. I, I've seen it in you. So you have too. I mean, I remember Unitas, honestly, uh, as a kid. And, and that's why I'm glad you said Super Bowls, because Unitas was the greatest I ever saw play. But it was a different era, completely different era. And, and not an era where uh, if you breathed on a quarterback, you got flagged. Those guys got hit hard and they threw deep. They weren't doing horizontal uh, passing games and they weren't doing jet sweeps where you throw the ball or pitch the ball underhanded for two feet and it's a completed pass. Uh, it was a different game. But um, those guys were equally good. And as I said, autogram to me, uh, the, the, the top three or top four, you go uh, United's Graham, Brady, um, Montana. Those are my, that's my Mount Rushmore quarterbacks. He's Clark Judge, Talk of Fame, I Test for Two podcast. I would remember, I'm glad you mentioned United's. I worked two bowl games with Johnny. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I worked the uh, Hall of Fame game in Birmingham and I worked the Florida Citrus Bowl in, in Florida. That's when uh, Boomer Siason was. Uh, against, uh, I'm trying to remember the starting quarterback from Maryland at the time, but he got hurt. Frank Wright came in oh, yeah. and staged the greatest comeback in college football history. Right. And then if you remember the Buffalo-Houston game, the wild card game in 93, he engineered that comeback too. Right. I, 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 uh, I'd like to hear stories about the greats because you, you remember it. Now, Brady won three Super Bowls. Uh, I take it back. Bob Sochi calls the uh, the Patriot games. He's going to be on uh, a little bit later. Uh, the third Super Bowl, I think it was the second or third Super Bowl that Bob called when they were playing Seattle. And Pete Carroll decided to throw the ball, which was intercepted, instead of running it with 
Marshawn Lynch in the backfield. He elected not to run it. Patriots win the game. A lot of times you find that success is as a result of other people's failures, right? That's right. Yeah, that's right. I remember after that game, Pete said, and I've known Pete for years, but he said, he was asked, um, you know, is that one of the worst calls in Super Bowl history? He said, no, it wasn't, it wasn't a bad call. It was a bad decision. It was a bad call and a bad decision, Pete. I mean, you don't do that. They weren't <laughs> going to start Mar- stop Marshawn Lynch. He wasn't going to be stopped. You just give him the ball and you've got another Super Bowl ring. Decided not to do that and he suffered the consequences. Um, and I, I would hope he learned from that. There were some occasions afterwards where I think Richard Sherman would say, well, really, we really didn't. But I do remember in that game in the fourth quarter, they were up by 10. I'm talking about Seattle. And Sherman was um, celebrating on the sidelines with somebody. Might have been Cam Chancellor. I don't know. Earl Thomas, somebody on the sidelines he was celebrating with. And, um, and, and I said to the guy next to me, they better be careful. <laughs> I mean, this is Tom Brady on the other side of the line of scrimmage. I mean, this isn't, um, you know, some Joe Schmo. This is Tom Brady. And he's been in situations like this. And he can put up a lot of points in a short period of time. And that's, of course, what happened. Seattle deserved to win it, but they didn't win it. Okay. And that's the way it goes sometimes, you know, that's the way it goes. And that to me was sort of payback for, for what the, the Patriots had suffered in Super Bowls uh, 42 and then 46, I guess it was, uh, 2007, 2011. Those miracle catches, Tyree, and then that perfectly thrown back pass to Manningham. So, um, you know, it was kismet. At some point, they got to get payback. That was the payback they got. Clark, uh, let, let's go to 2017. The Atlanta Falcons are ahead 28 to three. And I'm at a, uh, my, my daughter has a Super Bowl party every year. So we're at her house and I'm watching things develop. And I said, I've seen this movie before. Watch out. This guy, Brady, is, he's not done. Well, they wound up winning the game 34-28. Uh, I mean, so you can t- text all the things that Brady has done uh, and take the seven Super Bowls, six with New England, You know, that's just part of his history and his legacy. But you start to look at the current state of the NFL. And are we in a transition period now? I mean, Rodgers is close to retiring. Uh, You know, Derek Carr is going to be leaving the Raiders. Uh, All of the Garoppolo, we don't know what's going to happen with him. Aaron Rodgers, uh, who knows? Uh, I'm I'm not a betting man because if I bet on sports, I'd be living under the highway. (laughs) <laughs> I'm yeah. just bad at it. Well, you but. can't bet. You can't bet on Aaron Rodgers. He's the most unpredictable guy in the world, except for off-season drama. He's a leader in that category. All right, let me give you this: Aaron Rodgers goes back to Green Bay, but they've got issues now, cap issues, and so on that they're going to have to rectify. And who knows if he's going to get a better roster around him, or would he be better served to go to a team like the Jets, that are maybe a quarterback away from going deep into the playoffs? Yeah, I, I think we know the answer to that. And I think you're a Jets fan, so you know the answer to that. They, they would be better. He'd be better off going to the Jets, certainly. Um, the Packers are, they're not a teardown, but they're starting all over in, in one respect. I and mean, they've got some talent in places. Uh, I thought Christian Watson was a terrific player at the second half of the season. Once he found himself getting more touches, sort of got into that offense, stopped dropping the ball. But um, Aaron Rodgers, when he left after that last game of the season against Detroit, it really seemed to me very much like the exit of Tom Brady from the Patriots. It's very similar. Last pass he threw, it was intercepted. Last pass that Brady threw in Foxborough with the Patriots, intercepted. The difference was that was at a playoff game. That pass was also returned for a touchdown. But when they left the field, it was the same sort of look of resignation for both of them. And I thought, Rogers doesn't have to say anything. He knows this is it. He knows he's finished here at the stadium. Now, whether he plays again or not, it's up to him. He's right. He's the one that controls that. Um, if he says, uh, I want to be traded, 
Well, it's kind of up to the Packers to trade him to the team that he wants to. Um, if he says, um, I want to be traded to this team and they're not getting the right deal, they don't have to do anything. They right. control his rights. So he really controls his destiny. I do think he'll play again next year. I, I think he's got something left. If he were to go to a team like the Jets, absolutely. It'd be a great spot for him because they do need quarterback help. And they've got some talent. Their, their GM is now beginning to get, I mean, because they've shipped to GMs over the years, this GM is beginning to get the right people in the right places. So, yeah, would that be a good place for him? Sure would. Um, you know, San Francisco, they, I, I think, honestly, he'd be good there, but they've made it clear that they're happy with the two guys they have. And I don't know that he'd go back there now, only because I was at the draft in 2000. When was his draft? Five, 2005, when they took Alex Smith first. Mm. He dropped to 24th. He never forgot that. He wanted to go to the 49ers, and he was bitterly, bitterly disappointed. And he said, they're going to pay for it. Um, and they have, actually, over the years. But um, listening to what um, Kyle Shanahan said and John Lynch, they don't seem to be going in another direction, although I think they honestly should simply because they're going to need security blanket. What are you going to get from Brock Purdy? I don't know. He's got a major surgery on his elbow. What's he going to be like when he comes back? When yeah. is he going to come back? What do you have with Trey Lance? I don't know. I don't think they do either. Um, he's a raw product who played a little bit his rookie year, played a little bit last year before he got hurt. He was supposed to be the starter. They traded the future for this guy, so they believe in him. But what do they have? They don't really know. And he's coming off an injury too. So it's a real question mark of that position. And that's why I thought it was ideal if Brady wanted to spend one more year in the NFL, go there because you'll be protected by an offensive line and a running game. Second, that running game is really good um, mm -hmm. and a really good defense. You'll be protected by them. Plus, you're back home. You're where you want to be. And it's a place where your family, your friends are. I mean, it's an ideal spot for you to wrap up your career. One problem, the 49ers really weren't interested and Brady's retired. So um, hopefully that's the end of it. Hey, Clark, let's talk about what's now, what's next for the Tampa Bay Bucks because they have a myriad of problems. Yep. Uh, they're like 50 million over the new cap. Uh, who's their quarterback? They don't have one. Kyle Trask is the only quarterback on their roster currently yep. signed. Uh, you know, so what does that mean? Do they go out for Derek Carr or a Garoppolo? Uh, I really don't have the answer to that. But here they limped into the playoffs last year, eight and nine in a weak NFC South. And then they get beat by, by the Dallas Cowboys. So I don't know. And, and you look at the Tampa Bay Bucks; their offensive staff is gone, including yeah. Byron Leftwich, their yeah. offensive coordinator. So you talk about a rebuild. They've got a major rebuild. Yeah, I think it's a teardown, Howard. I really do. I think it's a teardown. They've got some older players, uh, big contracts. I, I think it's a teardown. You start all over. Uh, in that division, that's okay. Because starting all over may be all right. I mean, a losing record this year got you in first place. That's not a difficult division, and I don't know who's going to be the team to beat next year. Maybe it's Carolina. I mean, Carolina came on in the second half of the season. I don't know, but there are at least three teams in that division um, who've got quarterback. What's New Orleans doing? What's Carolina doing? I don't know. I mean, uh, so you're looking for a quarterback. I think you probably have to draft one. But in the meantime, can you, can you win with what you have? And the answer is yes. For the long term, What's it mean? And, and for long term, you've, you've got to do something about the cap. You've got to do something about these aging veterans. You've got to, you, they, were in, they were in an all-in all mode when Brady was there, and for the right reasons, because they had the best quarterback out there. But now that he's gone, you know, I, I, I can see them saying, we're starting all over, as you mentioned. Uh, you're right, the coaching staff's going to be different. Um, I think the head coach is really under the gun. Um, he didn't con 
cover himself with with glory this year and, and it just seemed to be friction everywhere without anyone even saying anything but um todd bowles is is a great guy and i think he's a defensive coordinator he's, he's a really good defensive coordinator sometimes the best coordinators don't necessarily make the best head coaches and he flopped in in um new york but that's because it's the jets i i, I kind of take that the boards i said that's an outlet yeah. we don't care um but that team this year made some really strange decisions, play calling. Um, I, I, I looked at them and there's just no light. There was no energy to that team. And it was exemplified by the quarterback best. You look at him, he looked lifeless. Clark Judge, talk of fame. I've tested from two podcasts. I spoke with Warren Moon the other day on my podcast. Mm-hmm. Warren and I, I've known Warren, my God, a long time. Uh, I called that game in 93 when he, when he got beat by Buffalo. And James Lofton's another friend of mine. He played on the other side in that particular game. But Warren, so I asked him about what happened to Russell Wilson from Seattle to Denver. And now you got Sean Payton going there to coach that team. What can Sean Payton do for A, Russell Wilson? And bigger, the big question is, what can he do for the Denver Broncos in a very competitive division? Yeah, to me, he's already done something for the Denver Broncos. He's made them relevant. Okay, they were a boring franchise last year. And I think ownership realized the fan base really wanted nothing to do with the team. I mean, they were they just were dull. And they, so they're not excited about it. I mean, there was an overtime game last year where they left. They left the game. They didn't care for the outcome. They didn't care. They'd seen enough. Boring team to watch. Well, he's brought some energy to that franchise now. And people think if Sean Payton could do it in New Orleans, couldn't he do it here? And the answer is yes, he could. Could he do it with Russell Wilson? That division, that's going to be tough, but he can certainly revitalize him. That doesn't mean he's going to make Russell Wilson the, the player he was in 2015 or 16 or anything like that. He's simply got to make him better than he was this past season. That's not hard. They weren't really good this past season, but that offense was terrible. Uh, again, the scheme just didn't seem right. He didn't seem to be a, a fit in it. Then when Nathaniel Hackett leaves the last two games, all of a sudden he started looking like Russell Wilson again. But um, you're not going to get the guy who is in Seattle. I understand that. And I heard what Peyton said when he got there. All I know is Russell Wilson's won a lot of games. That's true. He just hasn't won a lot of games recently. And this past year was the, the best example. So he's a guy who's a descending quarterback. Typically what he does is start out fast. He didn't this year. Start out fast and kind of descend as the, the season goes on because he's taken a lot of hits. So you've got to protect him better, either a running game, offensive line, or both. But Sean Payton will find a way to do that. And I think that's a warning sign to, for instance, Andy Reid in that division. He's had no competitors for seven straight seasons. He's won that division. Now you got a guy in here who has been the Super Bowl. Now you got a guy who's not a big analytics guy. This is a guy who will coach with his gut. And he was a guy who really was in the forefront of these fourth downs trying to go for it just because now he wasn't looking at any sheet. He was just saying, this is what I'm going to try. We're going to try something different. Players will believe in him. I think he'll get something out of that team. I think he'll get something out of Russell Wilson. And as I'm saying that they're going to win the division. No, but he'll make them competitive. And that's enough to bring some energy to the fan base there. Let's talk about a week from Sunday with the Super Bowl number 57. Uh, here's an interesting matchup. Patrick, uh, uh, Patrick Mahomes has been to three Super Bowls in the last four years. Jalen Hurts hasn't been to one. Mm-hmm. How much of a factor is it uh, on the big stage? And I know that the, that Hurst uh, has got a tremendous team around him on both sides of the ball, but is that a clear-cut advantage for Mahomes? It's an advantage. I don't know about clear-cut. It's an advantage because guys who've been there for the first time, they will tell you all of the stuff that goes on before, and you don't see a lot of that on TV. Some of it you do, but 
I remember when the 49ers played the Chargers in the 94 Super Bowl, I think it was 29, and I was covering the 49ers. I'd covered the Chargers the year before, so I knew both teams intimately. And and talking to some of the Chargers, they were overwhelmed because there were there was smoke going off, and, the, and uh, you couldn't see, but as the kickoffs go, you couldn't see because the smoke hadn't cleared, and, and they, they just weren't used to all this fanfare and, and everything was going on around them. So they're looking at movie stars, uh, rock and roll stars, the people they recognize in the stands and uh, all these people on the field, they were overwhelmed by it. The 49ers, on the other hand, had been there many times before. Um, and, and many of those guys on that team, even though it was uh, five years removed from the 89 team, many of those guys were still there. So they knew what it was like. And for George Seifert, it was kind of old hat. Yeah, I've been here before. The same thing with Andy Reid. He's been there before. Uh, Mahomes has. I will tell you this, though. Most people won't tell you this, but I, I, you know, Patrick Mahomes has been to two Super Bowls and that's an advantage, right? What has he done in those two Super Bowls? He's played 16 quarters and 15 of those quarters. He's not been very good. Hmm. One of those quarters he has and maybe learn something from that experience. But I know that in looking at those games, we talked about the 28-3 game that New England came back from in uh, um, Houston, I think, against Atlanta. Right. Kyle Shannon was the offense coordinator of that, that game for Atlanta. Had he simply run the ball, the Patriots were not coming back. But in that game that Mahomes did win and came back in um, 2000, the 2020 season, no, 2019 season, um, the, the 49ers were ahead by 10 points in the fourth quarter. All Kyle Shanahan had to do was run the ball because Mahomes wasn't doing anything. They couldn't figure out the 49ers defense and the, the Chiefs couldn't stop the run. But he was going to prove they were smarter than everybody else and throw it. And, and it let the Chiefs back in and that big play to Tyreek Hill, if you remember down the left side, that mm-hmm. opened the floodgates because all of a sudden that gave them the spark. They came back, they got a touchdown. Now they're within three. Now Shanahan's throwing the ball again. And, you know, before you know it, game's over. I mean, it's game's over. It was a, a, a tsunami of points in the fourth quarter. So that's what you got to be careful for. I mean, he can do that. Mahomes can do that. But I think Philadelphia is going to present some significant problems simply because they can bring pressure with four people. Yep. And that's the key. I've talked to enough people over the years to say the key to defending Mahomes is don't blitz him. He'll kill you. He'll kill you. If you bring five, six people, he'll kill you. If you can bring four and bring pressure, it's going to create trouble as it would for anyone else. Remember when Rex Ryan brought three against Brady, dropped everyone else into coverage in the 2010 playoffs. Brady was confused, didn't know where to go. That happens. So I would expect Philadelphia to throw some glitches at them, but continuous pressure with that front four, which is going to create problems, especially with Mahomes on a, a bad ankle. I mean, it'll be better, but I can't imagine he's going to be 100%. Hey, Clark, let's look back at the, at the, uh, at the Bengals-Chiefs game. Bengals never pressured Mahomes yeah, that's the right. entire game. But the right. other way around, I mean, they sacked Burrow five times. Right. So you've got a good defense in Kansas City. You've got a great defense in Philadelphia right, that right. led the league with 70 sacks. They, they won by 10 more. They have three guys in their roster that had double-digit sacks. I mean, they're going to come at you from every which way. Right. Does Kansas City have enough offensively to withstand some of the pressure they're going to get? Yeah, do they? Sure they do. Do I think they will? No, I don't. I, I don't. I, I think Philadelphia is the most complete team I've seen this year. And mm-hmm. I felt that way for a long time. Not a, I'm not alone. I, I felt that way. And I thought the second most complete team was Cincinnati. But um, offensively, defensively, special teams, coaching, they've got their bases covered. They've got their – there's not a time where you go, what in God's name are they doing? Their offensive line is the best offensive line in football. That defensive line, front seven, defensive line, you mentioned it. They've got 70 sacks. They've got 78 now. I mean, if they get four in this game, they'll tie the, uh, the Bears, the 84 Bears for the most all-time, including the playoffs. 
Um, the 85 bears, which we all talk about as legendary, they had 80. These guys are only two away from that. So are these the 85 bears? No, they're not, but they're really good. What about the secondary? <laughs> the secondary, there are really no holes in that secondary either. And they're very healthy. They're really healthy. I mean, Lane Johnson is not 100% on the offensive line, but he's good enough to start. And he'll be okay if they don't call false starts like they did in the last time. But their offensive line is terrific. They run the ball. And, and Howard, you know me. I'm old school because been around a long time. If you can play defense, really good defense, and run the ball, I'm with you all the time in a Super Bowl. I'm with you all the time. Running the ball gets you to championships, but defense especially. If you can shut people down with your defense, you're going to go a long way. I heard somebody say today that, and look, first things first, Philadelphia's got to win the Super Bowl a week from Sunday. But people are already saying that they could see them repeating next year. Uh, if you want to look down that road, the bottom line is the NFC is not as deep right. and not as strong as the right. AFC. Right. So that leads me to the question, Sean Payton going to Denver. Why? Why not? Money. He's getting a lot of oh, money. Okay. Getting right. a lot of money. And, yeah. and I think he's, he wants to get back into coaching. He wants to get back into coaching. He sees, it, it's, it, it's, I think it's a good franchise because they've proven they're willing to spend money. Mm -hmm. and, and we know the history of that team. They want to get to the top. Well, if that's the, the franchise that I'm working for, I'm enthusiastic. They're going to pay me a lot of money? Sure. And he'll assemble a good coaching staff. We know that. Can he resuscitate Russell Baker? Not going to get him back to where he was, as I said, like five, ten years ago, but he'll get something out of him. Will it be enough to go to the top? Probably not in the first year, but he's going to breathe some life into that team. And suddenly not, we're not talking about you know, Kansas City and the uh, you know, cast of three or Kansas City and maybe the Chargers. No, not the Chargers. As long as Brandon Staley's there, they're never going to get there. So Sean Payton is not Brandon Staley. He doesn't have the talent Brandon Staley does, but he's got coaching expertise that has bought it, put him in the playoffs many times. We know what he did with Drew Brees when no one else would take a chance on him. Um, so I, I, I like the move for Denver. I think it's good for him. Uh, you'll get him charged up again. It, it, it will Make this, I said, to make the Broncos relevant again, and hallelujah, because it's been a long time. All right, before I let you go, Jerry Jones tries to find a lot of ways to screw things up. Uh, I think McCarthy is probably safe. Uh, can't say that for the rest of the staff, but they, the subject was Dak Prescott. Can they win? And I mean win big with Dak Prescott. You mean Super Bowl? Go to a Super Bowl? I, I don't think so. I mean, um, how many conference championship games have they been to in the last 26 years? This is it right here, Howard. Zero. Yep. You know what? 26 of the remaining 31 teams, they've all been there. And you've got Carolina and Jacksonville. Their expansion franchise is 95, right? They've been to seven, seven in the meantime, but combined. Dallas hasn't been there. So there's a trend that was not upset this year. I mean, when they beat Tampa as badly as they did, I said, okay, wait, let's find out. Tampa's on life support anyway. Let's find out when they play a good team, San Francisco. And they did a nice job of defending Purdy. But what happened? Quarterback melted down. Prescott made two ghastly interceptions, especially the second one at the end of the uh, first half. And, and you saw that over and over again with them this year. And I felt there was a real division of opinion within that staff as to what to do. Turned it over to him or turned it over to the running game. And I said, listen, you should run first because the run will set up a pass here. I'm not, I'm not trading your, your chances um, for getting the Super Bowl on Dak Prescott. I'm not, because I don't think you can. He, he threw multiple interceptions in numbers of games this year. Just wasn't the same. But you can protect him with a good running game. They had a good running game, but they were prone to throwing in sometimes the wrong situations. I just don't think you're going to get to the top with him. It doesn't mean he's a bad quarterback. just means that he's good enough to get to the playoffs, and that's what he's good enough at, getting you to the playoffs. And that's it. I think we can agree. We both think Philadelphia is going to win. 
Yeah, no, so, I, I do too. I think there's a possibility. I'm not, I'm not certainly going on legend saying this. I think there's a possibility they could do to Kansas City what Tampa Bay did two years ago, three years ago, two years ago, uh, which was a runaway. Because if they flummox Mahomes and they cover Kelsey as Cincinnati and certainly Jacksonville did not, what's going to happen? And what's going to happen when Mahomes is beaten up a little bit and now he, he's running for his life and he's running on one light? What's, what's going to happen? And, and they can put points on the board. I think mm-hmm. the X factor, honestly, is, is Hurts. I, 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 I want to see how he responds in this situation. He's been in big games before, but he's got so many people around him, especially that running game, to take the pressure off his shoulders. If they can run the ball effectively, I think it's over because they'll, they'll score points. And then, you know, it's up to Mahomes and Kansas City to try to penetrate a defense, which is really, really good, and only giving up 14 points in two playoff games. Yeah, interesting. Um, by the way, I like the hat. I can't read the oh, logo though. Yeah, it's a, t- a Portland Timbers hat. I, I've got, <laughs> I've got P- it's a soccer soccer hat. Yeah, I just P- came in from being outside. Yeah, appreciate the insight as always, Clark. Great talking to you. You stay safe. Enjoy the game. Thanks, Howard. Good talking to you as always. He's a Clark Judge, talk of fame, and I test to podcast does a great job in just understanding what the NFL is all about. Guy that calls NFL football. He's going to join us momentarily is Bob Soshi, the voice of the New England Patriots. So as soon as we hook up with Bob, there we go. Hey, here he is. Finally. Hello, Bob. How are you? I'm good, Howard. I'm, I'm better now. My apologies. What's the matter? Uh, Zoom is always tricky for me. Oh, don't worry about it. I'm, there's nobody who's dumber technically than me. <laughs> oh, I, I, I can top you or, or should it be bottom you uh, in that regard? Yeah, well, my son-in-law went to Carnegie Mellon, computer uh, specialist. My daughter went there also, uh, and so she's wise about that stuff. The only reason why I learned it. All right, the first, the first thing you thought about when you heard Tom Brady was retiring again, and and uh, in the Zoom call, I guess that he made, he looked like this was the real deal. This was there was no turning back. Yeah, and the reason I believe so too, Howard, is because when I heard about it and saw it yesterday. It was just Tom and his phone on a beach. And I thought it was a heartfelt and uh, Tom Brady, the man making that uh, announcement, a heartfelt announcement from him, as opposed to last year, of course, when the report came out that he was going to retire before he he really had uh, made that uh, decision public or even in private uh, his father was caught by surprise based on what he said uh, publicly immediately after or in the hours after Adam Schefter's initial report a year ago and so yesterday when Tom uh, made that announcement himself and the manner in which he did it he's got a very good PR team and we have seen that here in New England but we've especially seen it shine since he went on to Tampa Bay and there was no pre-produced video. Uh, there wasn't a Gotham Chopra, uh, uh, you know, beautiful expose and, and a montage of highlights with a polished press release or statement to go along with it. It was just Tom Brady. Uh, Tom Brady, who, who looked like he'd been through a very difficult year mm-hmm. and it kind of found a peace uh, in that moment uh, and with this decision. So yeah, yeah. I, I, that was my first reaction too. I think this is it, the real deal. That's a good thought. Uh, so here the Bucks go 8-9 last year, limped into the playoffs in a very bad division, the NFC South, and then they get beat by the Cowboys. Uh, I go, when I think about Tom Brady, I'm calling the Jets in 2001, September the 23rd, in Foxborough, 
and Mo Lewis levels Drew Bledsoe, knocks him out of the game. And then Tom Brady comes trotting out of the field. And um, I'm working with Dave Jennings, a former Giant and Jet punter. And I said, 199th pick in the draft, sixth round draft choice. And here he is in an NFL game. We didn't know what to expect. He comes into the game, I think it was 10-3 Jets at the time. That would be the final score as well. We had no idea what to expect. But this morning I heard Robert Kraft talking about the day they drafted Tom Brady. And he was on with Don Lemon on CNN this morning. And he said he should have been the number one pick in the draft. I said, well, wait a minute, Mr. Kraft, you had five other picks before that pick. Why did you pick him then? <laughs> I, I wasn't talking to him. I couldn't. But look, here's Tom. We didn't know what to expect from Tom Brady. Now, did, you weren't doing the games then, but did you know what to expect? Well, consider the quarterbacks who went ahead of him. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> there's the there's the famous NFL films documentary famous in these parts anyway the Brady six and you know I think back to to the, that uh scene unfolding uh, as as you called it and I became aware of it after the fact it wasn't a game that I was watching that particular Sunday early in the 2001 season and it wasn't a game that uh, really stood out I think uh, on, on the landscape of the NFL other than it was, oh, another loss for the Patriots. And oh, by the way, Drew Bledsoe got hurt. And we didn't know the extent, of course, when it happened, of how serious and, in fact, life-threatening those injuries were to Drew Bledsoe in that moment. And now when I look back on it, Howard, as you're describing that scene having been there, with one of Bill Belichick's favorite players, by the way, and Dave Jennings, talking about the most important player you know, in Bill's career, obviously, in Tom Brady. You know, I'm, I'm thinking back to situations even remotely similar where a star was born after succeeding someone improbably, replacing someone uh, and, and excelling in ways that were unimaginable. And, and the only thought that comes to my mind as you were saying that is Lou Gehrig, you know, replacing Wally Pitt. <laughs> I mean, Tom, Tom Brady, sixth round pick, 199th overall. And I remember one time I, I ran into Ernie Accorsi at a Wake Forest Navy game, long before I started calling Patriots games. I had read Tom Callahan's outstanding book, The GM, about a season in the life of Ernie Accorsi as the Giants general manager. And Ernie talked about a scout that the Giants had, he kept pounding the table, speaking up in scouting meetings pre-draft for Tom Brady. And the scout was a bit quirky. Uh, according to a Accuracy, and, and uh, as Callahan described him. But he kept pounding on that table. And, of course, the Giants didn't draft him. And so I asked Accuracy in the press box at Wake Forest before this Navy Demon Deacon game about that uh, story in the book. And he said, yeah, it's absolutely true. He said, we weren't very smart. But then again, neither were the Patriots. They took him in the sixth round. So to your point. <laughs> what, do you mean that they should have taken Giovanni Carmazzi instead? Spurgeon win. <laughs> uh, you called three Super Bowls uh, since you've been the voice of the Patriots. The win over Seattle, I think it was 2015. Yeah. Uh, that was, yeah, the Patriots deserved to win the game. But Pete Carroll did everything he could to lose that game by throwing the ball that was intercepted by Butler, I believe, Instead of running Marshawn Lynch in the middle for a yard, a yard or two, whatever they needed, that to me, and, and yet Pete Carroll said after the game, uh, it was a bad decision, but not a bad choice. What's the difference? 
Well, Bill Belichick, you talked about that too. And, 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 and you know, it's, it's, it's a lot easier for Bill to say this after the fact, but the Patriots had gone with a goal line defense for that particular player with a look they hadn't shown all year. Uh, and, and they had also prepared specifically for that play in practice that week. Interestingly, and Butler had played it incorrectly during practice. It's on video in the Do Your Job documentary. And he was given a coaching point on how to play it. And Brandon Brown and the former Seahawk made a tremendous play as well that often goes overlooked on that particular throw by Wilson and, and, and the way he jams his receiver and really throws Tyler Lockett off stride and allows Malcolm Butler, having received that coaching point, to jump the route and make the interception. That being said, I also read a story this week where Marshawn Lynch <laughs> you know, still has that play very much on his mind, wondering why they didn't just hand the ball off to me. But based on the look the Patriots gave the Seahawks, Pete Carroll and Daryl Bevel, the offensive coordinator, you know, you know, and I believe that's in my heart of hearts, that's what I, I believe they made the decision based on what they saw. Because there was a lot of scrambling, too, by the Seahawks shortly before you know, they ran that play. A lot of people thought the Patriots were going to call a timeout of Belichick stood on the sideline looking at the Seahawks as his coaches were pleading with him to call a timeout or asking him if he wanted to take a timeout. He saw a little bit of disorganization uh, for the Seahawks. So the Patriots went with you know these heavy uh, defensive linemen along with the extra cornerback in that spot. And you know they had stopped Lynch on the previous play. Dante Hightower made a very underrated play in Super Bowl history because he's playing, in essence, with one shoulder at that point, and he takes down Lynch to keep him out of the end zone. Akeem Ayer is a linebacker who had joined the team midseason, I believe was another player who really helped to keep him out from extending the football and breaking the plane of the goal line. And, and that's a play that those guys don't get enough credit for uh, nationally, certainly even locally, uh, because it allowed the Patriots to come up with that interception on the throw by Wilson, uh, picked off by Butler. To me, if you're going to pass it, you, you roll them out and, and, and you know give them a run pass option. But that that's I think that's a topic for another day. Yeah, and I don't think it it, it can uh, you know erase what Brady and the Patriots did against the Legion of Boom in that defense. They were down by two scores in the fourth quarter. And as great as the comeback was against Atlanta two years later, trailing 28 to three in Super Bowl 51, Super Bowl 49 uh, featured the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history when the Patriots rallied against the Seahawks in that situation. Seattle was in control of the game, came out in the second half, took control. Uh, with possession, Rob Ninkovich gets a big sack on Russell Wilson. That starts to turn the tide defensively for the Patriots. And then, of course, Brady hits uh, Amendola. Then he connects with Edelman on a play that they uh, did not connect on earlier. Uh, and uh, that that's the go-ahead touchdown before the Butler interception. Bob Sochi, the voice of the New England Patriots. Let's talk about that uh, the Atlanta comeback. I'm sitting at my daughter's house. She always has a Super Bowl party every year. And I'm sitting there watching the game. They're down 28 to three. And everybody's saying, oh, this game's over. I said, hey, I've seen Brady often enough to know this game is not over. I didn't know anything. I just, based on what I've seen, just told me all I needed to, needed to know. Then the lead is starting to whittle away. And I said, you know what, guys? I've seen this movie before. I was not shocked with the, with the outcome. He, he deserved to win the Super Bowl. Let me do a quick pivot. This morning, I'm watching, uh, I don't know, one of the sports shows. And Mike Francesa, talk show host in New York for a long time, says he doesn't think that Brady was the greatest Super Bowl quarterback of all time. He thought Joe Montana was. And I went, what? And then he said, 
he might have been the best, best regular season quarterback. I said, Mike, you seriously ought to get new glasses or something. I mean, the guy won seven Super Bowls, six with the Patriots. Then he goes to Tampa, wins it again. Look, you look at where Tampa is right now without Tom Brady. <laughs> Aside from the fact they're 50 million over the cap, that's part of the issue. They don't have a quarterback, but I think Trask is the only one they have on in contract right now. They got to go looking for a veteran quarterback, I would think. Yeah, you know, and uh, regarding Mike Francesa, you know, who is to uh, argue with the career that he's had? I always enjoyed listening to Mike and the Mad Dog back in their old WFAN days. I did not watch them on television. Uh, that's not a show that I, I tend to watch. Uh, and I respect the career and the success that he's had. And I also appreciate his self-confidence. And I have heard that that argument made because Montana was 4-0 and and Brady lost three Super Bowls. Well, Tom Brady walked off the field twice against the Giants with the lead. Mm. Peyton Manning, it's now the offense didn't play great in those games, but when he left the field, the Patriots, you know, had the lead. There was a Hail Mary uh, throw into the end zone, uh, you know, in, 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 in those situations. But uh, nonetheless, the Patriots had gone in front late and the, and the Giants were able to come back and, and overtake them in low scoring games. Uh, to me, this seven Super Bowl wins and, and given the circumstances under which the Patriots recorded those victories against the Seattle Seahawks, uh, the, uh, I'm sorry, excuse me, against the, uh, the Los Angeles Rams. Or was it St. Louis Rams? St. Louis, I'm sorry, St. Louis Rams at the time. Excuse me, Howard. And John yeah. Madden saying, you know, no, get to overtime. And Tom Brady goes down the field. Madden eventually says in his greatness and in, in his memorable words here, what Tom Brady just did gave me goosebumps. And how <laughs> casually he spiked the ball. This is a kid in his first year as a starter, second season over in the league, overall in the league. He sets up Vinatieri for the game-winning field goal. He spikes the ball and catches it casually with his left hand. And, of course, he goes on to win the first of his multiple Super Bowl MVP awards. And then you go back, uh, you know, through, through the rest of uh, – his Super Bowl triumphs and uh, the way he performed for the Buccaneers to win all those games on the road in the playoffs and then to win the way they did in the Super Bowl uh, for Brady to lead the Patriots back against Seattle's we're talking about and, and as well the the job that he did against Atlanta rising up from 28-3 gives up pick six comes back look at the throw that he made on third and 10 to Chris Hogan on that game tying drive from the Patriot nine the throw that he makes to Danny Amendola uh, on, on a key play in overtime uh, you, you go back uh, Howard to the Carolina game. And I think it's a, it's an overlooked Super Bowl and an underappreciated Super Bowl 38. It, it's, it's a defensive struggle. First half, second half is a shootout. And Brady still got to make a play in, on third and long on that game-winning drive at the end to set up another Super Bowl clinching field goal by Vinatieri. He's Bob Sochi, the voice of the Patriots. Let me ask you this. With all of Brady's success, both with Super Bowls, Matic regular season games, he's won MVPs, Super Bowl and regular season and all of that. I'm looking on Facebook today. He's got an awful lot of detractors. Is it jealousy? What does he have? I don't use the word enemies because that's not fair. But why does he have so many detractors? Is it because they're jealous? I think there's a mix of it. I think the Patriots have been, you know, a, a team that has been loved uh, passionately by their fans here in New England, especially, but Patriots fans wherever they are and loathed by everybody else. You know, when I, I was a, a kid coming out of college and I spent a year at the University of North Carolina when the Tar Heels were, you know, 
perennially a preeminent power in college basketball under Dean Smith at the time. And mm. there was a saying then ABC uh, for the rest of the, the schools in that area was anybody but Carolina. And uh, of course, the Yankees and the Cowboys for so long, to name a couple of teams, uh, iconic franchises in, in baseball and football that are, you know, you love them or hate them type of uh, franchises. Well, the Patriots you know, for so long have fit into that category, Belichick and Brady. I think, you know, Thomas certainly, you know, calls some attention to himself with, with some things, you know, a lot of people maybe are skeptical of, you know, the, the branding, the lifestyle of, of TB12 uh, kind of marketing, uh, you know, his association with Alex Guerrero, things of that nature, you know, more recently uh, his, his association with crypto, cryptocurrency. Uh, but, for, but for me, I, you know, having spent time around him, having done a few events with him, but not, I wouldn't consider myself a friend of his. I know Tom. I don't stay in touch with Tom. I, I know some of the people that are close to him. My broadcast partner is extremely close to him uh, when, it, when it comes to media in this, in this marketplace, because my broadcast partner is a former Patriots quarterback. Uh, but I, I'll say this, he's, he's, from my experience, he's always been a nice guy. And that's the best thing I could say. He's a nice guy. And, and I've seen a, a very small glimpses of him as a father. And I really appreciate him because of what I've seen from those glimpses. And they also, are, I think, are reflective of his family. And I've known people uh, that uh, have had a lot of experiences around Tom's sisters in particular, but his parents as well. And I think that, you know, as a lot of them have said, he, he was raised right. And, and so I think that there's the difference between the brand and, and the person. Charlie Pierce wrote about it for Grantland. Back in 2015, Charlie had written a, a book, Moving the Chains, about Brady early in his career when he really ascended to a top you know, tier among all-time quarterbacks. And, and Charlie, in that 2015 piece after Deflategate, wrote about the difference between the brand and the man. And Charlie said, I, I like the man a lot better. And I think that's how, that's how I feel. I think, you know, not that I, you know, I, I, I take a lot of the other stuff <laughs> with, with a grain of salt uh, because... I only judge him by my experience for the most part. Sure. And, and it's been a very positive one, obviously calling games on the field for the guy who I believe is the greatest quarterback of all time. Uh, but certainly even in the interactions, just the hello, the look in the eye uh, in passing. And you don't get that a lot. Uh, you know, frankly, as silly as it sounds uh, in, in, in my experience around here, a lot of players are very guarded about, uh, you know, who they're seen talking to or looking to, uh, or they you know that everybody's in their own little world coming and going. Let me Tom Brady you. was always a guy that looked you in the eye, and I've seen it with other people on, on the staff, on the lowest levels of the Patriots staff, if you will, around the stadium. Uh, that, that same kind of guy consistently. Yeah, the, you've seen the fire in Tom Brady, yeah. uh, you know, on the field and on the sidelines where, you know, he's he's thrown a few clipboards and he, he's a very, I don't have any problem with that. But we've seen the same thing coming from Mac Jones. We've seen a little fire in him uh, to him now. Bill O'Brien's the new offensive coordinator. What impact will he have on Mac Jones? Yeah, you know, Howard, and that has been a subject and an unfortunate one for Mac and the Patriots that really has become a topic of discussion, speaking of his decorum or lack thereof, his comportment on the sidelines uh, during the course of this season, especially a reflective of frustration given the situation around him because Bill Belichick after Josh McDaniels and the offensive staff departed for Las Vegas replaced that staff with Matt Patricia and Joe Judge, two former head coaches, two former Patriots assistants with Patricia working primarily on defense, having been a defensive coordinator and Judge, of course, having been the special teams coordinator. And they tried to make changes to the offense, structural changes, and certainly there were play calling changes and, and 
and dramatic changes as well in the day-to-day relationships between the offensive staff and the quarterback especially. So it was a frustrating year. It was dysfunctional. Uh, And you look at it numerically, statistically, it was like that from the start. You go back to training camp last year. uh, What we saw in the early days of training camp continued throughout the season into the offseason and on the second day of the offseason the Patriots made clear their intentions to hire an offensive coordinator so they bring O'Brien back but Mac Jones has got to handle himself a lot better he doesn't have Tom Brady's resume as we know to lose his cool on the field and he's an approving uh, ground type of season coming up again he had a promising first year playoff quarterback as a rookie Excellent processor, really intelligent young man, tremendous work ethic, well-respected and liked by his teammates, especially the veterans. All the signs were there that he could be a quarterback of the future for the Patriots. This past year was a step back. I think the emotions got to him by the end of the year consistently. But I have a feeling that now with Bill O'Brien in place, who can be, his nickname was Teapot, so he can be combustible. He can be emotional too. Uh, But I have a feeling that it's going to be a good working relationship. And this will be a fair and sure evaluation of Mac Jones uh, than we got last year for sure. Buffalo is still the team to beat in the division. There's no question about that. Miami's got some question marks. The Jets, and and obviously they've come up, there's a lot of rumors about the uh, Aaron Rodgers and the Jets. uh, Look, if they're able to pull that off by by whatever means necessary, uh, with what they have around them offensively and defensively, they could be a, a serious playoff football team with a quarterback of that ilk. Failing that, I mean, Garoppolo's out there. Derek Carr is out there. Carr had a, a pretty solid year. Um, but uh, I still look at, you know, Buffalo is the team to beat. Miami, the Jets, and the Patriots then come after that. I mentioned Mac Jones, uh, he threw just under 3,000 yards, but the, the the touchdown to interception ratio, not good, 14 to 11. That's got to be improved. Yeah, you know, Howard, I, I, I look at the division, uh, you know, as, as you run down those teams, and certainly you're right, the Bills are the team to beat. Uh, they have really controlled the division uh, the last few years. I think the Bills, though, were vulnerable by the end of the year. And, and frankly, I, I didn't, and, and, and it was proven in the playoffs. They, they, they could have easily, they could have been beaten by Miami mm-hmm. in uh, the first game. Right. They were the fortunate, of course, they're playing Skylar Thompson, the dolphins. Uh, I don't think, think managed that game very well. Uh, they certainly uh, had very poor time management for sure in that game. What we saw from the Bills late in the year was a different defense than what we saw the last couple of seasons, and that's why I thought they were even vulnerable for a Patriots team. If the Patriots could get their act together, you know, offensively for one day, any given Sunday, the old line. So I thought the Patriots had a chance going to Buffalo, especially the circumstances uh, surrounding that game with the Bills emotionally and probably physically drained to you know, coming off what had happened the week before versus Cincinnati. But the def- defense of the Bills was different. They, they lost Micah Hyde, and then, of course, DeMar Hamlin – uh, w- w- was uh, lost from the field after he went into cardiac arrest in Cincinnati, right. you know, in week 17. And Jordan Poyer was playing banged up. And to me, those two safeties were so good for the Bills in that defense. They allowed Sean McDermott's defense, Leslie Frazier's defense, to do a lot of different things to confuse you, make plays. Otherwise, I thought it was a pretty standard defense and still without, you know, still underachieving at times particularly now without Von Miller for this past season coming off that injury, because the, you know, they got Miller due to the fact they had drafted pass rushers that weren't generating enough pressure 
on the quarterback. They spent a lot of high draft capital on edge rushers. So it's my long way to say, I, I think the Bills are an interesting team to watch. You know, they, they've they've made some changes already with the staff. I don't know if Poyer is going to come back uh, based on what I've read, you know, for Buffalo this offseason after having been such a good player for them. Uh, Sean McDermott's come under some criticism now in the aftermath of that, of that loss to Cincinnati. Uh, the Bengals dominated that game. And I think the Bengals obviously have a great offense and a, and I think an underrated defense, but they were dominant and with a with, with an offensive line that went in banged up and the Bills really couldn't couldn't stop and couldn't control the line of scrimmage uh, from that standpoint. So that's why I think the door is open in the AFC East division. And I think that the Dolphins are an interesting team to watch as well. They're going to make changes on their defensive side of the ball with their staff. Uh, they've got the speed. We'll find out if Tua can stay healthy and be on the field and be the same kind of player he was this past year. I think that the Jets, though, uh, defensively are the best team in the division. I think the Jets have some players on offense, you know, with uh, Garrett Wilson. I think the running backs they have are good. I think the two tight ends that they have, uh, speaking of the former Bengal, Zoma, and uh, and the other name is escapes my mind right now, who who they got from uh, Minnesota. Right. uh, Free agent. Yeah. I, th- I think the Jets, if they find a quarterback, I-, I could see the Jets next year being a team that really challenges for the division title and unseating Buffalo, maybe more so than Miami at this point. I think when we go ahead to Sunday, a week from Sunday, got to give me a reason why Philadelphia is going to lose that game. Uh, their defense, uh, I mean, they led the league in sacks with 70. They got three guys that had at least 11. Uh, and the Chiefs last week showed – they can get after the quarterback, and they sacked Burrow five times, which surprised me a little bit. Also, I was wondering why Cincinnati didn't try to put more pressure on Mahomes, given uh, his ankle situation. I, I, that surprised me a little bit. I would agree with that, and I, and I think that you know you you look at the difference in that game for me. You know, we're, we're going to have two quarterbacks who are coming off terrific seasons, MVP candidates each. You know, maybe if Hurts plays the entire season for the Eagles, he's the MVP. And what Mahomes did last week, I, I marveled at him. And I generally do when I watch him play, but especially considering that he's hopping around on one ankle, basically to your point about the lack of pressure. But the one thing that beats elite quarterback play is a defensive front that wreaks havoc. We're talking about Brady losing those games to the Giants in the Super Bowl. How did New York win those games, really, when you talk about affecting the Patriots' offense? Besides, you know, great throw by Manning to Manningham the second time around and the <laughs> incredible catch by Tyree, was that defensive line being able to get to the quarterback consistently right. to give the Giants the chance to make those plays? And I look at the Eagles and across the board on that defensive front. You look at the Chiefs, obviously Chris Jones, he wreaked havoc with Joe Burrow and the Bengals. But I just think Philadelphia's got more of those guys, and I think Philly's offensive line is a lot better than Cincinnati's offensive line going into that game last week because all the injuries that the Bengals incurred, including losing Lael Collins late in the year on Christmas Eve against the Patriots. You don't know what it's like until you've been there. And having said that, Mahomes has been there three times. Mm-hmm. Hertz has not. Early in the game, that may be a factor. After a while, you know, when he gets settled in, Hertz, that may be a different story. But I think you got to give a slight edge to Kansas City in that department. I think the biggest thing that I've been told, and and I think Brady has mentioned this, speaking of Patriots and Belichick as well, that in in Belichick has downplayed the importance of experience. I mean, the Patriots were beaten by Nick Foles and, and, you know, the the Eagles in 2018, in February of 2018. 
but the big thing that you hear when it comes to experience is just a realization of how long the Super Bowl is. Everything takes longer, especially halftime. And a lot of guys have said, you know, having played in the Super Bowl from New England, that it's like playing two games. And I think if you have that understanding and you're able to manage your, your, your emotions and, and you're not physically drained, but also you don't take yourself out of the game psychologically after that first half, then you know, you'll be okay whether you've played in the Super Bowl previously or, or not. I mean, look at the last year, the Bengals had a team of uh, players unfamiliar with the Super Bowl, the Rams as well, for the most part, you know, when you talk about those two rosters, and it goes down and it just comes down. It comes down to one play. It comes down to Cooper Cup making a catch and scoring. And then it comes down to Aaron Donald getting to Burrow to end Cincinnati's last gas. Appreciate your insight, Bob. Uh, always great talking to you. I would, I think the league is going to miss Brady, uh, but we've seen great quarterbacks come and go. Uh, the late Johnny Unitas. I did some games with Johnny. Uh, I, I think about him frequently. Uh, Tom Brady, uh, I, my guess is he's going to go into television. Got a contract sitting, a pretty nice contract with Fox. You see him as a studio host or as an analyst during games? Well, you know, it's funny because I said the other day, I was talking to a class of students who asked about that specifically. And I think as, as well as Greg Olson has done, if I'm Fox, I don't want to lose him. I, right. I think to me, he's become, you know, I, I better be careful because I don't want to alienate any of our brethren in the business i think greg olson is 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 the best analyst or at least right up there among the best analysts with troy aikman in my opinion mm -hmm. uh, in terms of enjoy enjoyment but also enlightenment um so I, if i was cbs or you know and, and this might be, be a commentary on romo from my standpoint i, I if, if olson's not the number one guy I, I certainly you know keep him in mind in the back of my mind uh, in the, for the future. So I, I wonder that I wonder, you know, that's a crowded studio. You got a lot of big, big egos and big names and, and, and great biographies in that Fox studio. And you're talking about Strahan and long and Johnson and Bradshaw, but you know, maybe there's room for, for Tom Brady there too. I don't know about adding anybody else. I, I might put him in place <laughs> of Bradshaw. That's only my personal I mean, opinion. You know, but then he'd have to take Gronk's place. I don't think he'd want to take Gronk's place. I think it'd be fascinating. But Howard, you know, you, you've you've been to Gillette Stadium, correct? Oh, sure. All right. So you know that the broadcast booths at Gillette Stadium are on the concourse. And to get to them as a media person, if you're calling the game, the press box is upstairs. So you can get there from underneath the stadium by taking an elevator. But the broadcast booths are at the 50-yard line, and they're on a lower level in the concourse, main concourse. So to get there, you either got to go up through the stands or on the concourse, along the concourse, to walk to the booth. I can't imagine how Tom Brady is going to be able to make his way from point A to point B to get to work if he's calling a Patriots game in the future. He, I don't know what kind of a team. It's going to, he's going to need an army of security people <laughs> just because of the crowd that will swarm to him trying to do that. Uh, I'll give you one word. Parachute. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy the game a week from Sunday, Bob. Thanks again for your insight. My pleasure, Howard. Thank you. And you stay safe. Bob Sochi, the like voice of the New England Patriots, does a great job with that franchise, a franchise that's going to go down in history as one of the great franchises in the history of the National Football League. Forget that. In the history of sports. Okay? When you've been in this business for as long as I have, and we're in a subjective business, there's no question about it. I may like somebody, you may not, and vice versa. That's just part of the, in, in part of the industry. But one thing we can all agree on, we admire greatness.
Tom Brady is a great quarterback. Is he the greatest of all time? I'd have to say so, based on winning, because winning is the defining number. You win, you're applauded. You win as much as Tom Brady, you're revered. No question about, obviously, first ballot Hall of Famer. No doubt about that. As for the game coming up a week from Sunday, I'm kind of reserved uh, a deep insight. I've already stated that I think the Eagles uh, are a little bit deeper, uh, particularly defensively, than the Kansas City Chiefs. But I'm not turning my back on Mahomes. Him and Travis Kelsey and and the, and the rest of that line and the defense that they possess, I think it's – I'm not, I'm not going to make it lightly over Jalen Hurst playing in his first Super Bowl, particularly early in the game. If he doesn't have jitters, then he's not human. He's going to feel it. Let's face it. He had help last week from the crowd, the, the raucous crowd in Philadelphia. But, you know, they, they just revered the beating that they handed down last week. Uh, was not totally shocking to me, but I admire talent, okay? Jalen Hurst is a talented player. Patrick Mahomes is a talented player. The fact that they're the first two black quarterbacks ever to start in a Super Bowl game is meaningful, but it's not the defining fact. What is the defining fact? When you step, when you strap on them cleats, put on those shoulder pads and that helmet and go out on that field, your Super Bowl appearance, whether it's your third or your first, doesn't matter. You feel the pressure. I felt it calling my first Super Bowl. I went to a, a, a box someplace along Press Row just to find some quiet that I can kind of just think about some things. And I walked into the commissioner's box and sat there um, just thinking of my thoughts. And at that time, Paul Tagliabue was the commissioner. He walked in. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm just kind of collecting my thoughts. He said, stay there. I'm going to go get a cup of coffee. You want one? I said, sure. Val Pinchback was head of communications for the lake. He comes in, reminds me of the fact that I'm sitting in the commissioner's box. Door opens. Tagliabue walks in with two cups of coffee, puts one down in front of me. Pinchback looks at me and he goes, I didn't realize that you had this kind of juice. It's which was a, it was a favorite memory, uh, which I had many trying to get it incorporated into a book that I'm putting together of things that have happened and the people that have had an impact on me. I'll leave you with this. Five people have had an impact on me in my life. The first one you might not have heard of, but he's the highest ranking black officer in military history. Daniel Chappie James passed away as a four-star general. He was a bird colonel when he's my commander in Tripoli, Libya, my first opportunity to work in Armed Forces Radio. And Chappie James made an impact on me on so many levels. Chuck Daly, the Hall of Fame coach in the NBA. Bill Parcells, Hall of Fame coach in the National Football League. The great Pelé, greatest soccer player for my money in the history of the sport. Was with, I was with the New York Cosmos when he played there. And finally, Muhammad Ali. My first year in broadcasting, he came to Trenton, New Jersey for a sickle cell anemia benefit. And he came into this, they, they, they brought over a trailer that Budweiser sponsored. It was 90 degrees and this was an air conditioned trailer. And I had a tape recorder there and I sat down and did an interview with Ali. And the first question I asked him was, what is the single biggest issue 
for black people in this country. Muhammad Ali said, quote, stupidity. Well, I'm new in the business. How do I follow up that with a question? He knew that I was new in the business and he didn't take advantage of that fact. He made an impression on me. He, get, he treated me with respect. And from that day on, I was a big Muhammad Ali fan. Was he the greatest of all time? He said so. And I'm not going to say he was wrong. I'm Howard David. Thanks for being a part of Howard David Live. Thanks to my guests, Clark Judge, Bob Soshi. You stay safe. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.